Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today, our church around the world celebrates the feast of the baptism of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a great event in the life of Jesus. From this moment forward, Jesus begins his public ministry. And so he needed to perform this task to be baptized by John. And so it is a great event in the life of him as well as our church. Now, as I've said before many times, baptism is the second greatest event in our life. At the moment of our baptism, our life is joined to the life of Jesus Christ. And it's a life that we are going to have forever. Our life joined with Jesus Christ is permanent. It lasts forever. And it gives us the hope and the promise that the world that awaits us is far greater than the world that we have now. There's a world that awaits us, the world of heaven, that is far, far greater than this world. And that's what Jesus Christ and his life that he has joined with us gives us, that one day we will join with him and we'll be with him forever, with all the saints and the angels. And that's why baptism truly is the greatest or the second greatest event in our life. The first greatest, when we see the beatific vision, when we come face to face with Christ, because then we will be in heaven and we will have made it. And that truly will be the greatest event in our life. And so, we celebrate this great feast. But realize also, at the same time, in the first few decades of our early church, this is one, an incredibly embarrassing event. The, this is an event that the apostles did not want to talk about. In fact, when it was brought up, the apostles immediately skirted around it. In fact, this was a very interesting topic that the Jews brought up in order to discourage people from converting to Catholicism. The Jews' argument, if Jesus truly was the Son of God, then why did he submit himself to a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? It doesn't make any sense. And see, this is the thing the apostles could not explain. They avoided it at all costs. You know, for the first few decades of the church, they thought this was incredibly embarrassing. So they didn't want to talk about it. They did skirt around it. You know, they did talk about other issues. But later on, through the providence and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they did understand. But at the same time, when you think about it, you know, why would Jesus do something like this? Why would he subject himself to such a humiliating event? Now, if there's one event that all four of the evangelists, the gospel writers, would leave out and omit from their gospels, it would be this. This was an incredibly embarrassing for the early church. Picture in your mind, you know, John, he's standing on the banks of the Jordan River. People are coming out to him. He's preaching what? Repent, you know, for the forgiveness of sins so that you can be prepared to receive Christ in your life. Well, the people just do that. And then they go into the Jordan River to be baptized. And that baptism is an outward expression of the remorse for their sinfulness. 
and their willingness to change for the better. And so they go out to be baptized. Now, you look out at all those people standing in the river, and in the midst, in the center of all of them, you see Jesus. And you say to yourself, what the heck is going on here? You know, that, that is Christ, the Son of God. And he's standing with all, the, all those people, waiting to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And it is Jesus himself who, at his time, will kneel before John the Baptist to be baptized. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Again, if you look at Matthew's version of the baptism of Christ, John is even perplexed by this. He is even taken back. That's why he says to Jesus, you come to me, I should be going to you. You should be baptizing me. So John doesn't even understand that. And see, that's the great irony of God. Our ways are not God's ways. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus truly is the Son of God. He is the spotless and sinless Lamb of God. He is the second person of the Holy Trinity. You know, Jesus, by his very divine nature, cannot sin. He never did sin, will sin, or ever sin. And see, that's how counterintuitive God is. That's how God operates. Jesus, first and foremost, he lays aside all of his glory and his power, and he is born into our world, just like us, helpless, a defenseless baby in need of care. And yet it doesn't stop there. Jesus, again, lays all of his honor aside and slips into the cold, muddy waters of the Jordan River in order to experience and accept this baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Now, these people that are being baptized are like you and I. They're normal, ordinary people. And yet, they're recognizing their sinfulness and how their sin prevents them from accepting Christ into their life. Now, I've talked about this many times. You know, we all have to do this. And I'll be the first one in line to say that I'm a sinner. That's why I need to go to confession once a month. You know, to be able to continue to accept the presence of God in my heart, mind, and soul, in my will and my intellect. And so it is important for us to do just that. And yet now Jesus is doing that. Well, it seems, again, so counterintuitive. But again, our ways are not God's ways. You know, in some ways, when we start a new job, when we start, you know, a new career, take on a new position, what's the first inclination? Well, we want to put our best foot forward, don't we? We want to impress our boss. We want to prove to him or her that we are the best candidate, that he or she made the right decision in hiring us or promoting us, and we're going to do our best to impress our boss. Well, notice, this is the very beginning of Jesus's public ministry. Is he really putting his best foot forward? Well, for us, it appears through perception that he's not. In fact, he's making a tremendous mistake. But again, perception is not reality. I think what we have to do is turn to two saints to help us understand this great feast. St. Ambrose once said, The reason why Jesus is baptized is to see the tremendous love that God has for us and how it stretches from heaven to the very bottom of our condition of sinfulness. Well, you know, that's so true. It stretches from heaven, which is where Jesus started or began. He is born into this world, and yet Jesus doesn't just stop there. He continues to descend into the very depths of our sinfulness 
as he is baptized. And see, that's how God's love stretches. It stretches all the way from heaven to the very condition of our sinfulness in order to save us and redeem us. St. Thomas Aquinas said, The reason why Jesus was baptized, so that he could enter into our condition, so that he could now stand in solidarity with us. Oh gosh, that is so true. Jesus, he slips into the cold, muddy waters of the Jordan River, and he stands shoulder to shoulder with all the other people, all the other sinners. And now he's at their same eye level as with these sinners. Now he stands in solidarity with us. He enters into our condition. And see, only then can the process of healing begin. Only then can the plan of salvation start. And only then can Jesus now begin to restore us to righteousness, a right relationship with God. You know, if you look at Jesus' entire ministry, this is at the very heart of it. Jesus is the healer. He's constantly healing people from their physical abnormalities, but he's also healing them spiritually, forgiving their sins. And see, that's what Jesus is doing. And yet it can only start when he enters in our condition, when he stands shoulder to shoulder with us to identify with us in our state of sin. You know, in the first reading from Isaiah, Isaiah says, a bruised reed he will not break. You know, a smoldering wick he will not quench. You know, if you ever walk around a lake, you, you see a bruised reed. It's not broken, it's just bruised. What's our first inclination? Break it and throw it away. Or we see a smoldering wick, a candle that's on the verge of going out. Again, what's the natural inclination? Oh, just blow it out. Well, Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he works to heal, you know, to make sure that that light doesn't blow out. Instead, is nurtured and fostered. And see, that's what Jesus does throughout his entire ministry. And this is the reason why he has to be baptized, so that now the process of healing us, restoring us to a right relationship with the Father can begin. And so he has to enter into our condition. He has to be baptized. You know, a good analogy would be, say, like a coach, coach of a a peewee baseball team. You know, the coach knows that these young players have a lot of talent. There's a lot of great potential in them. They're skilled, but they're not just playing well. You know, they're not hitting the ball well. They're not pitching well. Now, it would be very easy for this coach to just lay into these players, to scream and yell at them. But he knows they're not going to learn if he's yelling at them. You know, they're going to shut down. So what does the coach do? Well, he kneels down first. Now he's eye to eye with his young players. And then, then he begins to teach them and coach them. And the kids, now eye to eye with their coach, now they open up. Now they're able to accept and learn from their coach. So the coach then says to them, okay, this is how you hold the bat. This is how you choke up on the grip. You know, when you throw a pitch, this is how you need to hold the ball before you release it. And then the players get better. They get better and better and better. And then he has a great team. And so the same thing holds true for us. This is what Jesus does. You know, he is baptized. He slips into the cold, muddy waters of the Jordan River. He stands shoulder to shoulder with us, eye to eye with us. And in doing so, he enters into our condition. And now the healing can begin. And see, this is the reason why our baptism is so important. At the moment of our baptism, 
Jesus joins his life with us. Now he stands with us in solidarity, eye to eye, shoulder to shoulder, now and for the rest of our life, for all of eternity. And with that, Jesus begins our healing. First, the healing of original sin from baptism, and then the healing so that we always will have righteousness, a right relationship with God the Father, as well as Christ. And that's why Jesus' baptism is very important, as well as our baptism. One last thing to think about. At the very end of the story, the Holy Trinity reveals itself. It's not often that the Holy Trinity does that in sacred scripture. So when it does, we have to sit up and take notice. Now notice what Jesus is doing right before the Trinity reveals itself. It says he's praying. Well, that is so true. You know, prayer was an indispensable instrument in Jesus' time in his life. He was always a person of prayer. And he prayed, especially during the most important events of his life. During the Last Supper, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he died on the cross, Jesus was praying. Well, prayer should be indispensable for us. We should be people of prayer, praying every day. And see, this is the reason why we come to Mass every week. Prayer, our church tells us, is indispensable, especially the Mass. The Mass is the highest prayer that we can offer God. That's why we gather every week for Mass. So therefore, we should be people of prayer, praying every day, coming to Mass every week. See, when that happens, then the Holy Trinity is revealed to us, especially during the Mass especially during the time of consecration. If you notice or recognize the prayers in the Mass, every time we pray throughout the Mass, we are always praying to the Father, through the Son, in union with the Holy Spirit. We always recognize all three persons of the Trinity every time we gather for Mass. And see, this is what happens to us, which is what happened to Christ. When we pray, the Holy Trinity reveals itself to us. Therefore, it's important for us now and always, every day, to pray so that we truly, like Jesus, will have the Holy Trinity reveal itself to us. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.